Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. We have nothing in ourselves to boast about. That's why the old saying is, at the cross, God deals with our pride. We're all on the same level. When you boast in your own accomplishments to either get you to heaven or get you closer to God, then you are a legalist. If you've got to tell people how many people you led to the Lord, and and I, I don't mean you're saying it because you want to glorify God. You're saying it because you want them to say, my, you are spiritual. And that's legalism. That's boasting in yourselves. The most serious problem with legalism is that it is a false gospel which ultimately leads to eternal destruction. If we trust in our own efforts to attain salvation, we will live lives of frustration in which we constantly compare ourselves to others, sometimes boasting, sometimes fearing failure, and usually wondering if we have done enough. But there is one thing every Christ follower can legitimately boast about. We can boast about our Lord. We can give Him all glory because He has already done all that is needed for our salvation. We can rest in Him and we can rejoice. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside for over 27 years. His ministry has expanded to include these daily radio Bible classes. Joy is the golden thread that runs through the book of Philippians. Even here in chapter 3, where Paul is warning his dear friends about the dangers of legalism, he reminds us all that as believers, we can glory in Christ and what he did for us on the cross. If you have your Bible, please turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Our class is about to begin. Paul then identifies those who, are, we are, who we are to beware of by a threefold description of their character. Number one, he calls them dogs. He says, beware of the dogs. And we read this, I don't think it hits us like it hit the Philippians or anybody in the ancient world. When we think of a dog, we tend to think of that cute little animal that we have as, uh, in our home. We've adopted this little pet, and that's our puppy. But uh, in the Middle East, people didn't think that way. They didn't go to a pet store and spend a lot of money to get a dog. They didn't do that. In Bible times, dogs were not looked upon favor, favorably. For, there are 40 references to dogs in the Bible, and not one of them is favorable. And I'll tell you why. Because the imagery of dogs to someone in the Middle East at the time of uh, in the first century were those wild dogs who ran in packs. They didn't have homes. They didn't have human owners. They were they roamed the streets. They were hunting amidst the garbage dumps. They snapped at people and other animals who came by. They were vicious. They were wild animals. They were noted for noise. They were scavengers. They were savage. They devoured dead bodies. Remember the prophecy against Jezebel, Ahab's wife? The dogs will, will eat you and they will lick your blood. I mean, that's a pretty gruesome picture. Peter says in 2 Peter 2.22 that uh, as, as a dog returns to its vomit, 
That's that's a disgusting picture, and I you know I don't want to ruin your appetite for lunch, but uh, that's that's pretty pretty gross. So understand when he says beware of the dogs, he is not thinking of that precious little puppy. He's thinking of creatures, creatures, mangy creatures. Okay. Now because a dog was considered filthy, a savage, scavenge type of animal, ancient people called someone a dog as an attack on their character. So they were using it in a figurative sense. When Paul says, beware of the dogs, he, he doesn't mean if you see someone walking on the street, barking at you, run away. He's not, not thinking of a literal dog here. He's thinking of someone who, uh, who is called a dog, a, a person, a false teacher who's lower than low, because the dog stood for everything that was shamelessly unclean. It was a term of reproach. Historically, historically, Jews often referred to Gentiles as dogs. And that wasn't a compliment. Uh, the, the Jewish male every morning prayed a prayer like this. I thank thee, O God, that thou hast not made me a Gentile dog or a woman. Okay. That was their attitude. The rabbis had a saying, the nations of the world, meaning the Gentile nations, are like dogs. Now that's, that's what we call religious pride. That is a horrible, prejudiced proud attitude. And the thing that Paul does, understand the legal, uh, legalists were Jewish people. That's why they're called Judaizers. They came from Judah. Probably most likely from Jerusalem. And they were Jewish people. What Paul is doing is turning the tables on them. And what he's saying in essence is you who have historically referred to Gentiles as dogs are dogs yourself. That's what he's saying. That would really hit them. You are dogs. Why? They, they are contemptible, impure, like dogs. They seek to devour and they bark out loud words against sound doctrine. I think that's the imagery here. Those who would reduce Christianity to human effort are like filthy dogs in that sense. They prowl around congregations seeking to devour you and win converts to their heresy. Understand, that's what they're at. They are after you. That's why Paul's writing this to the Philippians. Because he knows what a false teacher is after. He's after you. He wants to exploit you. 1 Timothy 4.1 says there are, these are doctrines of demons, seducing spirits. What is a seducing spirit? Is a spirit that is sent from Satan to seduce you, to bring you to himself. And 2 Peter 1 through 3 speaks about, about um, exploiting. False teachers have one goal, and that's to exploit you, take advantage of you. They're greedy. They want your money. They want to look good so they can say, look, we've got all these converts. Don't we look great? That's what's behind it. So understand where false teachers are coming from. They're out to devour you. And that's why the next phrase, he says, beware of the evil workers. Beware of the evil workers. Does this mean that they were immoral people, that they worked evil? No, usually they're very moral people. Usually legalists are, are externally very outstanding, upright citizens. However, they work evil. How? They're evil workers in the sense that their one goal and work is to... Uh, uh, be a missionary to you. They are missionary in their zeal to convert you to bring to becoming a legalist. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, Jesus spoke of the Pharisees, who in a sense were the forerunners of all these Judaizers, and he said, you'll go over land and you'll go over sea to make one convert, and then he'll be twice a child of hell as you are. And what did he mean by that? 
He meant, in other words, that their converts were more fanatical than they were and therefore more devilish in character. But that's, that was their spirit, missionary zeal. We'll go anywhere, at any time, under any circumstance, to win one. Now, we ought to have that missionary zeal. We have the right message, often not the right zeal. They had the wrong message and, and the zeal. But the zeal, I should say. So because they are dogs, they seek to devour others. They do this also as evil workers. And the main thing that they work on is insisting on the right of circumcision. So Paul says, beware of the false circumcision. Literally, you know what this means in the Greek? Literally, the uh, mutilation. Beware of the mutilation party is what he is saying. Beware of those who would seek to mutilate you. Strong language. You see, these legalists insisted that Gentiles become circumcised before they could become Christians. In other words, salvation by surgery. Salvation by surgery. The right of circumcision. So Paul sarcastically, and I believe he's being sarcastic here, calls them not the circumcision party, but the mutilation party. What he's saying is if, if that type of cutting with that significance that you put on it is, is not what God puts on it. That is mutilation. Just a cutting of the skin without any spiritual significance is mutilation, and the Bible condemns mutilation. The Bible, in fact, it was pagan to, to mutilate. If you think back to Elijah, remember Elijah's on Mount Carmel with 400 prophets of Baal, and, and Elijah says, if, if Baal be God, then have him uh, call down fire. And uh, if Jehovah be God, then we'll see that he'll call down fire. And uh, they cry out, the, the uh, Baal prophets cry out all morning, Oh, Baal, Baal, Baal. And they cut themselves. They mutilate themselves. That's very pagan in practice. Very pagan. And Leviticus 21.5 forbid the Israelites from mutilation. They are mutilators, and we are to beware of them. Now, how can you do that today? Beware of those who tell you that you need to be baptized to be saved. I think if this was written in the 20th century, Paul would say they are the water party. Because that's all, all it would be. That's all baptism would amount to. You just get a little wet. They're the water party. You might even say they're all washed up or something. He was being sarcastic. So joy is maintained when you understand the concern over legalism and the character of the legalist. But we also need to understand one final truth this morning. And that's the contrast between legalists and true believers. Someone Wednesday night asked one of our missionaries, if, if someone says to you, uh, you go to this church, what is a Lakeside Community Chapel? What are you? And, and they're looking for a label, Baptist, Presbyterian, what, what, what are you? And uh, I want to suggest that here's a good way to answer them. Verse 3. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Well, that'll clear it up, right? <laughs> that'll clear it up. But that's what Paul says we are. This is who we are. And then they'll say, what? And then you can get into the gospel with them because I'm going to explain it. We are the true circumcision. Now, where and why did God initiate circumcision? In Genesis 17, God said to Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you. I'll make you a great land. I'll give you a great land. I'll make you a great people. And circumcision is the sign of that covenant. Your people will be circumcised. It was the outward badge of the covenant. However, this outward sign, as all outward signs in the Bible have, uh, it had a corresponding inward reality. And so you'll read in Scripture about a circumcised heart, 
a circumcised heart. And I'll just give you the references on that. Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Speak of a circumcised heart. Why? Because... The, the cutting on the outside was in a sense symbolic of a spiritual heart that had been cut and softened and was yielded to God. The cutting, uh, in addition to some other things, referred to a softening. And so when you read about a circumcised heart, you read about a soft heart. Not, not hard in the sense of what's pumping blood in you, but hard in the sense of, of a yieldedness, of your attitude, of the inner man. The Bible refers to it as a circumcised heart. And basically it is, it is the Old Testament way of saying born again. Born again. If you are circumcised in your heart, it means that you are born again. Old Testament terminology. Regeneration. That's why in Romans, let's look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, and this is sort of the New Testament commentary on circumcised heart. Verse 28, Paul writes, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. I mean, just because he's been circumcised outwardly doesn't make someone a real Jew. Neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Paul is explaining what God was really after. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. That's true salvation. We are the true circumcision. We don't need man to cut and mutilate us. God has done the cutting already on us internally. You see, legalism is external. We've already had a cutting on the inside of the heart. We're complete in Christ. It is wonderful to know that the work has already been done. Yes, we still need to grow in Christ-likeness, but that is a process that begins after we have been adopted into God's family. In Him we have all we need for eternal life. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will be right back after we pause for just a moment to welcome those who just tuned in. We're glad to have you with us in class today. You are listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor for more than 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These classes are a natural extension of that ministry. Let's return to class now to discuss another contrast between the legalist and the person who trusts only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says, we are the ones who worship in the Spirit of God. You see, as the true circumcised ones, we worship in the Spirit of God. Legalists worship by outward forms. Have you ever noticed that they're real concerned that everything, all the details are in order? They're usually very liturgical, very formal. They've got to have the cathedrals. Our worship comes from the Spirit of God who initiates it in our hearts. Our our worship is simplistic in the sense that we don't need a whole lot of outward forms because worship comes from the heart. A Christian worships in his heart. Jesus said that to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She said, well, should we worship on this mountain? Or you Jews say we ought to worship on Jerusalem? We worship Mount Gerizim. Where should we worship? And Jesus said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you worship. What matters is that you know the truth and that you worship by spirit, by heart. Legalism is outwardly ritualistic. Now, I'm not saying that everything that's formal and liturgical is wrong, but if that's what gets you into worship, then you've missed the point of worship. You ought to be able to worship by uh, walking the street. You ought to be able to worship in your home. You don't need to go to a cathedral. You don't need to go to a church to worship. It's good to, to come and worship on Sunday with God's people. That's biblical. That's right. 
But if you have to have that, you can't worship any other way. And you don't understand. We're just concerned about sincerity and devotion of our hearts to God. That's true worship. We worship God by the Spirit of God. And the word for worship here basically means service. So it stems from the heart, which is led by the Spirit, not outward pumping of the flesh to do some kind of religious deeds, and then I'm really worshiping God. No, we worship by the Spirit. Thirdly, he says, and we glory in Christ Jesus. People who are legalists boast or glory or rejoice in who? Themselves. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it'll be because I'll tell you how great I am. See, that's, that's their attitude. Boast in themselves. We call this religious pride. That's what the Jews were doing when they said, God, I thank thee that I'm not a Gentile dog or a woman. Religious pride. Christians don't have anything to boast about. You know that? For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves, the gifts of God. Why? Lest anyone should boast. Why has God made salvation by grace? So he gets the glory. If he made it by works, you'd get the glory. You'd never make it to begin with, but uh, uh, because you'd have to be perfect. But he's made it by grace alone because he gets the glory. And that's why I read Jeremiah 9 before. Jeremiah says that he who boasts, boasts only in this that he knows me. We boast or glory in Christ Jesus. See, we've broken the law. The death of Christ fulfills the penalty for breaking the law. We have nothing in ourselves to boast about. That's why the old saying is at the cross, God deals with our pride. We're all on the same level. When you boast in your own accomplishments to either get you to heaven or get you closer to God, then you are a legalist. If you've got to tell people how many people you led to the Lord, and and I, I don't mean you're saying it because you want to glorify God. You're saying it because you want them to say, my, you are spiritual. And that's legalism. That's boasting in yourselves. The only way anyone can ever be saved is because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul concludes in verse 3 by saying, and we put no confidence in the flesh. That's sort of a commentary on we glory in Christ Jesus. We don't put any confidence on the flesh. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, in my flesh dwells what? No good thing. There's nothing to to have confidence about. Our salvation isn't based on anything about us. It's not based on your parents. It's not based on your father, your grandfather was a minister. It's not based on that. It's not based on the the home that you came from. It's not based on your moral character. It's not based on your religious heritage. It's not based on any of those things. It's based on Christ and him alone. In fact, if you were to take the greatest man with the greatest background, the greatest religious heritage, and you were to say, could those things get you to heaven? You know who you'd come up with? You'd come up with the Apostle Paul. And I'm just going to read verses 4 through 6, and then, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll look at Paul, a portrait of a former legalist. This is, this is the best that man has to offer. Paul was the greatest as far as, as this is concerned, and he used to be a legalist. Actually, he was one who was even beyond them. He didn't even acknowledge Jesus as Messiah. But Paul says in verses 4 through 6, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, Paul says, hey, if anybody could do it, I could have. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. If ever there was a man that could make it by good credentials, it was Paul. We're going to find out. Paul says, I couldn't make it. I couldn't make it. I I, I couldn't get righteousness that way. 
Righteousness is found only through Jesus Christ. Don't let error rob you of joy, whether it be this error that we have looked at or other things. Get into the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Rest in Jesus Christ and His finished work. You and I meet people who tell us that it's important to believe in Christ, but there's something else. When that happens, you ought to be able to know how to deal with that. You ought to understand that you need to try to lead them to Christ. They need salvation. Don't let them sit down with you and I'll tell you my view, you tell me your view. No, I want to tell you the gospel because they need the gospel. They need it. Understand your identity and who God says you are. So if someone says, hey, you go to that church, what are you? We are the true circumcision. We worship in the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus, and we don't put any confidence in our flesh. Invite them. If they want to know what that means, invite them to sit down and let you share with them the gospel. It's about for prayer. In a church our size, there are people who come from all different backgrounds. Uh, I may have stepped on some toes this morning. It's all right, because you need to hear the truth. Your baptism, your religious works, your good deeds, your religious heritage can never, ever save you. If you think that, then you are a candidate for salvation. You need to trust Jesus Christ alone. Not Christ plus something else. Christ alone. Because the only issue, the only thing that keeps us from heaven is sin. And the only work that has ever been accomplished to deal with the sin problem is the death of Christ. Will you trust him and him alone? Involved in trust is repentance, which means you have changed your mind about your sin. What you are aware of is sin. You've decided that you don't want to follow that route. You want to trust Christ. Come to him today. Let's have a moment's silent prayer. If you'd like to trust Christ, then you speak to him now and you ask him to save you. You call upon him for your salvation. And then I want to let you know that you can ask any of our elders, deacons, people who are up at the front to counsel you, myself. I'll be in the back. Ask us for counsel. Let's have a moment of silent prayer and then I'll close in prayer. Father, for those who need Christ, may this message be an eye-opener to them. We've said things very straightforward. Convict their hearts of their need for Christ, and may they turn from religious games. And Father, for those of us who are shaky on grace, may we rest in Christ, Lord. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Father, may, may that be not only our song, but our hearts, um, just our hearts craving to rejoice in that. We pray that as a result of this morning, you'll help those who struggle with assurance problems and security problems and baptism problems to just rest in Jesus Christ. When he said it's finished, it was. Nothing can be added. Only he can be accepted. So, Father, may sound doctrine lead us to the the joy of the Lord. For this we pray in his name. Amen. I once saw a greeting card with a picture of a heart floating on a rock in the sky. The heart was styled to look like a castle, and over it a long banner flowed in the breeze. 
The caption said, Joy is the banner that flies over the castle of your heart when the king is in residence. What about you? Is the king in residence? Have you put your total trust in the Lord Jesus? If you are still puzzled about how salvation can be completely free of any good deeds on your part, I would like to invite you to call the phone number that I'll be giving to you in just a minute. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving for more than 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio versions of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you. To listen again to today's broadcast, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. We also have previous classes on the archives page if you would like to go back and catch any that you missed. The website is also a great way to introduce your friends to the classes. That's versebyverseradio.org. Now, here's the number to call if you have a question about salvation or if you want to order a CD or cassette with the entire message from which we extracted today's class. Please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. This is Peter Silseth, and I hope to see you back in class again next time. We are here to give you strength between...